0: that's noom.com to sign up today
1: How's it going and welcome to episode 118 of On the Wire proud member of the Picture List Podcast Network Follow the pod on the Twitter at on the wire pod you can follow me at 80 grade that's all spelled out and you can follow Kevin Hastings at hasting kevin and you can listen to Kevin right here right now because he is once again behind the mic with me Kevin, glad to have you back, man. How you doing?
2: Oh, it's great to be back. Doing well. And yeah, some a lot of exciting baseball going on and things that are exciting for fantasy baseball and specifically for what we look into in the fab coming up this weekend. Maybe one of some of the highest bids ever for this time of year with the amount of money people have left.
1: That That's the key, right? It, with the money that, that, that people still have left, there's still somebody in every league that has the hammer, right? Every, every league has that team that either hasn't been paying enough attention, has been missing out on every bid, whatever the reason is, there's somebody in your league that still has three quarters of their fab budget left, like maybe 600 $700 left, even more in some cases, especially in 12 teamers. So somebody will be spending a lot of money. It depends on how much you still got. Maybe you get two guys that we're going to talk about later on, and be that'd be quite exciting to see how many teams out there actually get the two top guys which we're going to lead off pretty quickly here with that. Yeah, I don't think I have I don't think I'm that team in any of my leagues anymore. I would say if you asked me that last year, I would have been, but I have been a lot more aggressive this season. I don't know how you have formed your bidding philosophy if it's been different this year or not, but I know I don't I am not the hammer in I don't think any of my leagues right now.
2: I have it in a couple of spots, and in most of the spots that I have it, the guy that we're really talking about here, Ellie De La Cruz, is not available in a couple (laughs) of the leagues. Of course. He is in another spot or two, and I do have roughly $600 or more in almost every league I'm in. I've been sticking to my guns, even though I have got Tyler Bybee in a couple spots, Logan Allen in a couple of spots. I still have been able to save my... My, my money each week in other places and uh, doing a lot of one and $2 bids with long conditional hmm. lists in, in spots some weeks because I didn't really have to have it, anything. So I have been able to get in on some of these, the pitching prospects that have come up and still have more money than I'm hearing a lot of people <laughs> talk about having left, but not sure that's, that I want to get away from that too much yet either. There's still a long way to go.
1: There's still a long way to go. Yeah, I'm not in I'm not in that dire straits in any of my leagues. So don't get me wrong. I haven't been that aggressive. I don't have single digits or even less than 100 bucks left in any of my leagues. But I do definitely have one or two leagues where I'm less than 25% left, $250 or less. But I think the majority of my leagues are anywhere between 300 and 500 left in my budget. So I that's still plenty of money to play with, especially since, Almost everybody else in my league is in the same boat as me as well. So, playing on even playing fields. All right, well, let's get into it. Like you alluded to, uh, we will get into our news and notes. And the first thing we're going to talk about is the Cincy wave of youth coming up. Obviously, there are still a couple of guys that we're waiting on, but the most recent additions include Andrew Abbott being welcomed to the rotation, and then Ellie De La Cruz being welcomed to the left side of the infield in Cincinnati. Abbott made two starts this past week, so that's a nice way of introducing. You get lots of uh, lots of eyes on him, get to see lots of innings, bigger sample size before we all put our bids in. He's uh, combined 11 and two-thirds innings with two wins, both got the win in both of those starts, 10 strikeouts in that time, zero earned runs, while De La Cruz has started his Major League Baseball career with a five-game hit streak in his first five games, including his first Major League home run in his second appearance and he's got two stolen bases under his belt, along with five runs scored in those five games as well. These two, obviously, I think I say obviously, correct me if you think I'm wrong here. I don't know why, are the mo- going to be the most popular ads this year or this week on Sunday. Can you imagine either one of them actually getting sent down, especially after the hot starts we've seen? De La Cruz, just throw any kind of cold water here. De La Cruz only finally got the call up due to an injury from Nixon's cell. And some may have argued that Encarnacion Strand might or should have been the one to get called up to play third base since that's the position we're expecting him to play long term anyway, that or first base. If there's any kind of health in Cincinnati, does De La Cruz get sent back down or does he have s- s- too much star power at this point to even
2: consider that? I think as long as anything close to what he's doing thus far continues, he's going to stay. I think the organization at a whole is enjoying this run recently as much as the fan base is. It's been quite some time in Cincinnati, and I, I heard uh, Eno talking on Rates and Barrels, Saris, and and he was the one throwing a little cold water, and that cold water. As far as he could get throwing cold water on Ellie De La Cruz was his floor may be good Javi Baez. Good Javi Baez is a really good floor. <laughs> sure. And the ceiling is Fernando Tatis. He was doing player comps, if anybody heard that episode this week. I think we need to be all in on that, and I think the Cincinnati Reds are all in on that. His strikeout rate that is is—is the one thing that we look at and say, okay, this could— cause him to struggle a little bit. I think it would have to remain well above 30% and him not do anything in his other plate appearances either. But as long as he is continuing to do what he's doing thus far, especially sliding him over the third base, there was some question about him, how long would it take for him to add third base eligibility for us in leagues where it takes 10 appearances at a position in season. And he's well on his way already in his first week. He had a three coming into today. I didn't see about today, but he's already getting his starts at third base. So that helps as well. Yeah, I don't see any reason not to at least make a nice attempt at acquiring him for our fantasy teams if we have that option.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm in agreement with De La Cruz. I, if you had asked me a couple of days ago about Abbott, I would have said I'm a little bit more worried about... Until today? Until today. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) obviously. Another really good outing. Whip was a little higher than you would like in most leagues, but in general, very nice outing, especially if you just watched him pitch, the way he sequenced and the way he really controlled the zone in general. uh, It was very... Confidence boosting as far as holding on to a roster spot. We also, if you watch his interview after his first start, after the fact, he's really just really composed. It really seems to know what he's talking about, know what he's doing, and doesn't he oozes confidence just behind the camera or behind the mic as well. There's not a whole lot in the rotation in my mind in Cincinnati that can really knock him out. He is officially, I guess, the number five there. But between Ben Lively, Brandon Williamson, Luke Weaver, and obviously Hunter Green's not going anywhere, but these are the guys that are above him in the pecking order in so to speak, or at least in the order of the rotation. Nick Lodolo's not coming back anytime soon. And then obviously Graham Ashcraft, who deserves to be on the IL for various reasons, is on the IL and he just got there. So that should be a little bit of time before we see him again as well. Do you have... We're gonna see another two to three hundred dollar bid on a starting on a young starting pitcher, which we've been seeing in every week for the last what feels like since week two of the season. Do you, are you gonna blame anybody for throwing that kind of money out here? I know you could echo your sentiment that you might not be the one that gets them, but are you gonna blame anybody else for throwing that kind of money if they have it on this guy?
2: I don't think so, especially if you have been. Like many of us, certain teams and certain leagues, there's been so many injuries and there's probably so many more to come that it puts us in a rough spot. It puts us in a spot where we really need to try and go and get some of these guys because there's just not anybody else of quality available. As we talked off air before the show in 15s, finding a starting pitcher, even for a stream, is becoming next to impossible in the deeper leagues. And so I think it's, we're in a rock and a hard place. We have to try to attain guys like this, but we also, we do need to save some money because we're going to lose more guys and we're going to need to find just anybody we can to fill in later.
1: That's the key. We are at that time of year. You alluded to it a couple of times already, but we are at the time of year, June, going into closer and closer to the all-star break. Where we're going to start seeing pitchers being either shut down, phantom IL stints, actual IL stints of guys that haven't hit the IL yet, but there are, quote, due. And so, yeah, putting that kind of money on a guy like Abbott or anybody who's available in your league right now should be a high consideration, I think, in most cases.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think many of us are attributing at least some of the, the uptick in pitching injuries this season to the pitch clock. That has to do with fatigue. And as the season wears on, it may affect more and more pitchers that it has not yet seemed to affect anyway. But uh, there's probably a lot more of these injuries coming.
1: Yeah, fair. There's another option on the wire this year for the first time. A.J. smith Shaver finally made his MLB debut for Atlanta this past Sunday, just in time for him not to be available last for the last fab period. Of course, they did call him up to the Major League roster the Tuesday prior. He sat on the roster, on the bench, watching his team play for five or six days until they finally got him into a relief outing where he went two and a third, three strikeouts on Sunday, follow that up with his first major league start for Atlanta, going five and a third with two strikeouts just on Friday. And he also has yet to let up an earned run just like Abbott. So both these guys are going to be available in just about every league. Are you buying the Spencer Strider comparisons that, that we've been hearing a lot about regarding Smith Shaver coming in through Atlanta? In starting off in the bullpen and then moving his way into a rotation spot, whether his repertoire or his pitch mix is equal to that of Strider, obviously, it's less of (laughs) an argument as we all know who Spencer Strider is at this point. But is his early Smith Stravers' early success, along with those comparisons, enough for you to be bidding just as high on him as you would Abbott, for example?
2: So you nailed it. The comparison is due to we thought he might be in a relief role for a little longer and then move into the rotation. I think that's where the comparisons to Spencer Strider should end. But the, that matchup this week with Detroit, even if we're not looking past that, we're getting to the point now where even that one start this week at Detroit could be very valuable to us. I don't think... The bids will be as high as Abbott's, uh, but there are other issues in Atlanta's rotation. So smith shaver probably will be sticking around for a while, especially if he continues to perform as he has. And with that aforementioned start at Detroit coming up, we, he should be able to maintain these for at least another week. Yeah, and I think the bids will be up there, but not quite as high as Abbott's.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think that, Basically, anybody who misses out on Abbott is going to have Chauver as their conditional bid first in line, and they're just going to be fine. I got, the, I got a guy I wanted, <laughs> and I'll be happy with that. I talked to Sarah Sanchez over on her podcast with the Fab earlier this week, and this was right before it was announced that Shaver was going to be in getting a start for Atlanta. I was really disappointed. He was get, he got announced as a to get a start before these bids were going in, thinking that if he just stayed in that middle relief role a little bit longer, those bids obviously would have come down a little bit more. But I found him just as valuable, if not more valuable, in that two to three inning role, just by the fact that he only has sixty some odd innings under his belt. And he could very easily get up to upward of 120, 130 innings on the season. And most of them being at the major level. And he would be able to get that a little bit more regularly if he was in that two or three inning role and racking up strikeouts, et cetera, et cetera. Now that he's a starter, he'll probably, if he stays in the rotation all season, which honestly is not likely, but if he were, he's probably going to average a start a week, until about early September. And it's not bad, but at the same time, he's probably not going to be going more than five, five and a third. Maybe he hits a six inning here or there. At least this is my fear. And then we're not going to get any kind of volume out of him that we might get out of, that we might get out of somebody like Andrew Abbott, who has a lot more innings under his belt as he's obviously made his way through double AA, a triple a with a little bit more seasoning than Shaver did. So, I, I do worry about how many how many innings he's going to get on a regular basis in that rotation role. And I almost find it he would be more valuable in that middle relief role,
2: personally. Yeah, especially if some of his appearances were as a follower, now, that would be amazing. But I unfortunately, know. I think we're going to have to count on Atlanta's lineup to continue to produce as it has if we're chasing wins here with Smith-Schauber. So far, so good with that Atlanta lineup. So we should be in line for some wins, just going five or five plus innings. But that, I agree with you 100%. That's probably what we're looking at.
1: All right, let's get into some more some of the bad news here. We got some we got some debuts, but now we've got to get into some guys we're going to be missing for quite some time. Let's bundle these two together. We got two big boppers out for quite some time. Pete Alonso, he'll be out 3 to 4 weeks for the Mets as he deals with being after being hit by a pitch and going through every single testing <laughs> under the sun it seems. It took 3 or 4 days they finally made the decision to put him on the IL will be out for up to four weeks. Maybe, you know, who's to say that doesn't go a little bit longer. And then in Houston, you got Alvarez to the IL with an oblique strain of his own. How are these these power hitters being, how are the lineups of these power hitters being affected by their absence?
2: So far, it appears it's going to shore up some playing time for Mark Hanna for the Mets. He's played first base the last couple of days up against both a lefty and a righty. He hasn't been rolling really well for the past couple of days, but prior to that he had he had hits in 7 out of 8 games. 8 out of 9 actually. So I, I think that's what we're looking at and in deeper leagues that increase in playing time for Mark Kinehoff makes him interesting and probably a guy I'll at least have in my conditional bids. Maybe not at the top of any lists but that does make me more interested in him. Houston it's hard to figure out. I think we're looking... These the outfielders with Jake Myers healthy now, Chaz McCormick healthy now. They're probably both playing, but we might see Diaz get some DH opportunities. That's my hope. I don't know that that's what we'll see, but I'm hoping we might see that a little bit. And I, I may try to acquire him in a couple of the 12-team leagues where he's still more available. But for the most part, between the two, I, I think the biggest thing I see that I, I'm fairly certain I can count on is is Mark Hanna getting consistent playing time for a while.
1: Yeah, I agree. that Houston one's a little bit more murky. Unfortunately, I have my I've had my eye on Corey Jukes for a while now, and I was hoping that this absence of Alvarez would force his way into a more regular playing time. He's not in any kind of platoon; he just gets a day off every two or three days, which is unfortunate, but. And he is in there. He is stealing bases like crazy, like Jake McCarthy-esque. Daniel Diaz, obviously, even in the short sample that he's been seeing, swinging a hot bat and really should be getting more plate appearances, no matter how you squeeze him into the lineup. And that does seem like the more obvious selection as a DH first type of bat with the backup catcher mentality, it would seem like he really, especially the way he's been swinging the bat, he should be getting more time in there. Yeah,
2: and that's the two, right? Against the lefty on Friday, Diaz got the DH Mm -hmm. start. Against the righty on Saturday, it was jolks. So maybe that's what we're looking at, and that wouldn't be enough extra playing time for Diaz, I don't think, for most leagues, but maybe in some 15-teamers as a second catcher.
1: Yeah, he's probably the one worth like throwing that speculative ad if you've been streaming that second catcher spot, even if he gets even one extra day of work that he's been seeing. He's still been seeing three out of seven in a given week, and he's doing enough in that small sample to be useful to an extent. So if he gets that extra, that fourth or even fifth day a week, that'd be a, the speculative ad. That's he's not going to hurt you. You might take a zero in a couple of days during the week, but when he's in there, he seems to be doing good things. I agree. All right. Last thing here, Trevor Rogers. He, he threw his final rehab start on Friday. He is set to rejoin the Marlins next week. And that seems to line up perfectly with Yuri Perez's spot in the rotation. So are you expecting Miami to send down their top prospect? He's still prospect eligible, Yuri Perez. And if he does get sent down, if you have him anywhere, you spent a ton of fab on him. How long can you, and we'll get into some more of these kind of discussions later on in the pod, but how long can you afford to hold Perez on your bench if he does get sent down by the Marlins?
2: Without any of us really knowing, I do think it will be Perez that gets sent down. I think they want to monitor his innings, and with the position they're in the standings, they may want to preserve some of those innings for later in the season and possibly even postseason. I know that sounds crazy. We got close with the Marlins last year, yeah, and that it was fun, fun. <laughs> and it, we may get there again. And he's the type of guy that if you're throwing Alcantara back out there and Lozardo. Edward Cabrera and Braxton Garrett have been really good, at least the, a majority of the time recently. If you could have Yuri, guy like Yuri Perez coming out of the bullpen, that would be phenomenal in late season push for the postseason and in the postseason when you don't need as many starting pitchers. So I think they want to preserve some of his innings, maybe even more than they had planned prior to the season beginning so that he may be available at that time. And for that reason, I think he probably is the guy to get sent down. As far as holding him, gosh, he would be my last drop in in most cases. I'm sure we all have some guys we're waiting to come off the IL. Uh, we may have another stash or two that we like a little more. I try not to let what I paid for anybody in fab or on draft day have anything to do with my decisions because it doesn't have anything to do with how they have performed or how they will perform going forward. It's something we really gotta to try to get out of our heads, in my opinion. But just performance wise and potential wise, I think I would hold him as long as I could. But if I got other guys that coming back from injury soon, hopefully, he could be the guy to go.
1: Yeah, I agree. They're gonna to wanna to, if there are any inclinations that playoffs are in the Marlins future. They're going to want to hold some of those innings for later on in the season. And for all those who are thinking like, he's still going to throw innings. It's not like he's going on the IL or they're just, if they send him down, he's still going to pitch like those innings are still going to exist. Yeah. I mean that that's one way of looking at it. But as Kevin, as you mentioned, it's like you can, the team or the organization can monitor those innings easier In the minors, they can pull him earlier. They can they can put him in different situations without as much of a microscope going on their decision making. If they were to put Perez out there and and pull him after three innings in Miami, there's a lot more red flag alarms going off than if they do that in in Triple A, which actually he has not pitched yet. (laughs) (laughs) Which is the funny thing about it. The thing I worry about Perez is just is the innings like he threw 77 innings last year. That was the most he had done in a single season. So we're looking um, at 120. He's already probably. Yeah. I mean, he's already at
2: 60 innings this year.
1: Halfway um, there
2: and only a little over a third away through the season. Yeah, that's going to be tough.
1: Yeah. So we'll see how much they can actually manipulate that to get him pitching into August and September.
2: Three inning starts every sixth of the day for a couple months. <laughs> as long as he gets
1: an opener, I'm okay with that.
2: <laughs> All
1: right. That is going to do it for the news and notes section of this week's podcast. Of course, we missed a whole bunch of stuff worth noting. Make sure you're listening to Nick Pollock's Plus Pitch Podcast, where he highlights every starting pitching performance of the day prior. And, of course, the first pitch podcast with Casey Bubba and Jake Crumper on the weekend's they break down all the news, highlights, and observations from every day's worth of games as well as looking ahead at each slate to keep you up to date with everything you need to know to win your fantasy league. In just a moment, we're going to talk about the pretty much the complete opposite of what we normally talk about here on the podcast. We usually talk about guys you can pick up. We're going to talk about guys that probably should be dropped or thing, people, players you should be considering and why haven't you already dropped them. But before we do that, we do have to take
0: Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today.
1: All right, we are back. Of course, you're still listening to On The Wire. I am Adam Howe, joined once again by Kevin Hastings. And we are talking, we talk about, Kevin, I feel like we talk about this a lot. You bring it up a lot, especially in the off season, of things that we're going to either do differently or things we need to focus on. And that is the idea of being having a a stronger trigger finger when it comes to dropping players when you need to drop them and not holding on to them too long, Regarding whether you just have affinity toward the player, they're just a good person, <laughs> or they've done good things for you in the past, or you paid a high price for them in your draft. Whatever the case may be, there are definitely players on every roster, on most rosters, that probably get held on to a little bit too long, or they just they stick around. They're doing more harm than good because you're just hoping they're going to turn it around or you have affinity to them or whatever the case may be. So, what I wanted to talk to you about is just that idea of have is are we people? I don't know where this originated from, to be honest, but like the idea that I think the adage is, is like you have to wait a week into the season to drop a guy that you drafted in the, the bottom like couple rounds of the draft and every week that goes by the next round up becomes droppable. I don't know how much you <laughs> buy into that aspect, but we got a point in the draft, like we're into the season we're 12 or 13 weeks in where anybody should be droppable regardless of where you drafted them.
2: Yeah, I think so. And I get what people are saying and they try to put a guideline on it, but to me, it doesn't have anything to do with where they were drafted. It's just the correlation between where guys were drafted and what we expect from them, what their projections might be. And the guys drafted earlier and for higher dollar amounts in auction leagues are the guys with more proven track records typically. So we're going to give them a little longer leash when things aren't going right. As far as draft cost, I tried not to think about it at all. Shouldn't mean a thing. Doesn't do me any good to leave somebody in my lineup and continue to butcher my ratios or not give me any counting stats, regardless of how much I spent on them on draft day.
1: Do you think that disservice that you're doing to your team that I alluded to, you just mentioned again, keeping them in your, not only on your roster, but possibly on your active roster on your starting lineup, is it, it's, doing more of a disservice in a 15 team or in a deeper league, of course, because it's harder to come back from that. And the pool on the free agent market is not as plentiful, but is this, are you doing enough damage in a 12 team or in a shallower league that you feel I've got to be more aggressive in those cases because I can't come back from that.
2: I think you're doing more damage in a 12 team league because the, there probably is somebody available for you and has been for the last however long you've been waiting and leaving these guys in your lineup, you could do more damage in the 12 because the the quality of the players that are available that you could have picked up four weeks ago and then three weeks ago, and then still thought, Oh no, he's going to turn it around any day now, two weeks ago. But uh, yeah, I think, and it's difficult. Like I said, with the price is probably correlated with track record and projections so that's why we're more hesitant to, to make that move sooner. But once, it, once you've gone with some of these guys, you know, that we're going to talk about several weeks, if not the entire season, it's definitely time to let them go.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then the other end of this is that we talk about how you're building your bench a lot and how many of those bench spots, especially in an NFBC league where you have no IL spots like your IL players become stashes and you can only hold so many stashes and have any kind of flexibility throughout the season for new injuries or roster construction or schedule construction and how many days maximizing plate appearances and all that. How much damage I think are you doing? You you talked about earlier, like Yuri Perez is getting sent we think that's a possibility that Yuri Perez is going to be sent back down. How long can you hold him? And you said, he would be your last drop. But at the same time, what does that really mean? Like your last drop, how many ILs do you have to have? How many other stashes do you have to have on your bench? You got seven spots in order for that last drop to be a thing.
2: Yeah, it's, I've gotten to the point where I used to have mostly in the NFBC style leagues with no IL, most of my bench used to be pitchers. And I realized that I was doing myself a disservice in that aspect because I can change hitters out on Friday. And if I get an injury in the first half of the week, I need to have guys available to make that change. At the same time, we talked all off season and early season this season about wanting to have bench streamers on our pinching staff and not be having to look for them on the waiver wire each week. So we want to have room for a couple of those guys. So if you're covering all your bases, you really only have one or two spots. And then you're down to if you got a guy on, on the IL that you definitely don't want to drop. We really believe he's going to come back soon and he'll be his, be himself when he does come back. And then he's taken up that spot. When it, when I say he would be my last drop with a guy with someone like Uri Perez, that may mean I only that I need to make two moves that week in order to start the week with a full lineup or a full lineup that I'm comfortable with. That last drop could be the first or second drop (laughs) in some cases. So yeah, it's just tricky. And I know we try to avoid saying this because you can say it about absolutely everything we talk about, but it really depends on each specific team and league.
1: Yeah, it's true. I, I talk a lot about how I like to have a structure to my bench and X amount of this, X amount of that. But I know I have at least one team where I've got six pitchers and one hitter on that just because that's what, like, my my hitting, my lineup has been solid. The players that are in there have been knock on wood yeah. healthy pretty much all season. I haven't had to do a lot of moving. So I've had the flexibility of having that kind of bench in that one league where I can have those team streamers sitting there waiting. If I want to try my hand at an extra save here or there, I've got to Reliever on there. So when I say I have six pitchers, they're not all starters. But if I want to go starter heavy, I can do that. If I wanna put four relievers in there, I can do that as well. But that's not the case for most of my leagues. You're right. It of course it always it depends.
2: <laughs> in a couple of spots, I'm getting lucky. I had guys taking up those spots were Tyler Glass now, Tristan McKenzie, guys that we're seeing get back in their rotations now. And then that frees up guys that I had been using that I may not want to keep I have easier drops to make now but that's not in very many places it's yeah it's been crazy but when you said six pitchers there's been weeks where I had six pitchers on my bench but only one of them was not on the IL yep <laughs>
1: <laughs> that seems more common all right let's get into some examples I threw together real quick I went through and looked over our uh, on on the wire listener leagues and checked on rostership percentages there, starting percentages in those leagues. These are 12 teamers. They're set up just like the online championship. There is an overall component, but you don't win anything. You win a yoo-hoo shower as the NFPC puts it in there. <laughs> Thanks, Derek. And then I also made a note of what their ADP was. And the ADP is because our leagues went from November through March. I decided to use an ADP just from NFBC 12-teamer drafts in March. So when I throw that number out there, that's where that's from. These first two, I'm going to lump them together. Kind of, Actually, I'm going to separate them a little bit because they're very different. And this first one I want to start off with kind of comes right when we were just finishing talking about. And holding on to guys in the I. L. Is Joey Gallo currently on the I. L. Everybody had he went on the I. L or he was day to day last weekend with the expectation he would go on the I. L. So you had the opportunity to drop him thinking he wasn't going to play that often. Obviously he hasn't, besides a couple power surges here or there, not you nope. Know, Still producing at Gallo esque levels, <laughs> and I'm not saying that in the most positive of ways. Really, 62% rostered though in these in our listener leagues, I will give those 62% props because he's only being started this week in seven percent of those leagues, and so I'm assuming that these are teams that either are so desperate that they just had to keep him in the roster to keep a active lineup. Or a legal lineup, or not paying attention. They didn't adjust their lineups this week, unfortunately. But where would, like, why is Joey Gallo still being rostered, even in a 12 teamer, when he's not producing what you want? And he's going to be, you're not going to be able to use him for at least the full week, if not longer, depending on how long it takes him to come back.
2: Well, I held on to him this week in a lot of places, Uh, and it looks like he's going to be back in the lineup on Tuesday. And they have an off day, so he's playing. He's going to be available. It sounds like for the entire six game week that Minnesota has coming up, and he does have 165 plate appearances on the season. I know some are up over 200 now, but it's it hasn't been horrible. And in those plate appearances, he's on pace for a 40 home run season if he was getting a full. 600 plus plate appearances with the 188 batting average of course he is his old self he is walking enough that in obp leagues it's a completely different conversation he is definitely a player you want to have rostered in obp leagues where he's a little below average but not hurting you nearly as much as he does in batting average leagues and the reason is when in the leagues where i was drafting joey gallo i what this is the batting average or Down close to it, I think I figured 200, maybe not 188, but I constructed my roster planning for that. And uh, so I've held on to Gallo in some spots and I'll have him right back in my lineup this week. The multi-positional eligibility at first base and outfield has helped me in spots throughout the season. And uh, yeah, I'm just hoping he continues to be, like you said, old Joey Gallo isn't always the greatest, (laughs) but if that's what you're planning for, I'll take old Joey Gallo.
1: Yeah. That's the key, right, is if you're planning for it and you built around it and what you built has held up. So if you built that roster out of bricks and not out of sticks like that, that's key when you're rostering somebody like Alec, because you know what you're going to get. You're pretty confident at least. Um, and he's giving you what you expected in in the way you're describing it. So I get it. I know I dropped him in at least one or two places this past weekend. And I can't even remember if those rosters were ones that I was desperate for the bench spot that I needed the IL. It was more of, you know what? He's not doing enough for me this week where I'm afraid I won't be able to get him back where I would rather have the flexibility this week. And then if he's still on the wire, I think that based on the fact that he was hurt all week, I might be able to sneak him back in if I'm really desperate for the power. I think also me personally, almost all my leagues where I need something, it's not power. (laughs) It's either batting average or speed. And Gallo is obviously not going to help me. And he's going to be detrimental to one of those if I were to actually bring him back. And so that's another key aspect is like not holding on to players that are actively hurting you in the categories you're already doing Poorly in, and, and just you being aware save, of
2: that, you can save yourself from yourself by yep. getting him off the roster, so you don't keep putting them in the. Yeah, you're not lineup. tempted.
1: <laughs> oh, maybe. <laughs> all right. The other op- the opposite end of here, not really opposite end. It's just very different situation here. Jose Abreu. We are all those of us who really went after him. He had an ADP of 88 in March, so plenty of us were going after him in his new threads in Houston. 82% rostered in our listener league still. 42% of them have them in their starting lineup. We all know his struggles. We all know. I'm not even going to go through his his season-long stat line. Is he actually, for the 42% that are still starting him in our listener leagues, is he doing more harm than good? Simple as that. Even in this week, is there any signs that you can tell that he still has a chance to become valuable again? And are, are people just holding on to him based on name recognition and or ADP?
2: Yes, all that—that's what's going on. The only places I have him left is in a draft champions league, and he hasn't been in the lineup in weeks. It's unfortunate, but I think Father Time caught up with him. He's not going to be a Nelly Cruz or David Ortiz, unfortunately. Up through prior to last season, looked like he he could maybe go on that path for the next four or five years. Unfortunately last season and this season that has not been the case and I would have to see huge changes before I'd be even be interested in seeing if he was available to pick back up
1: yeah it'd be interesting I know he's done well in the last two days I think he's got a home run in each of the last two days i will be interesting to see in those leagues where people were more aggressive and they were like no you're doing more harm than good I'm dropping him to see how much people buy back in on the bidding for fab with somebody like Jose Abreu all right two guys here I want to lump together and they're Pretty much completely the opposite of each other, though they were drafted very close to each other. Cabrian Hayes at 171 and Javi Baez at 176 in March. Cabrian Hayes, last four weeks, he's had 93 plate appearances, playing pretty much every day. In that time, though, he's got just three home runs, one stolen base, 20 strikeouts to one walk. So that's quite the difference, <laughs> but he's hitting 304 with a 313 expected average. I'm using expected average from the pitcher list player pages. It is different than the expected batting average that you see on the Statcast page or in Savant. Just the equation that we use over a pitcher list takes into account spray charts as well as where the hitters are actually hitting the ball. So it's a little bit you know, arguably more accurate to what they should be doing. But he's batting 5th or 6th for Pittsburgh every single day. He's got a nice little hitting streak as of recently. He started since May 31st. He's got 34 plate appearances, 2 home runs. A stolen That one stolen base came that time. 7 runs scored, 11 RBIs, and a five fifty nine batting average with a 53% hard contact rate, 16.7% barrel rate. So, obviously, he's got a nice little streak as of recently. But it's... Pretty much all empty batting average and driven by this recent hot streak. Is that worth it? And then, I'm, again, I'm going to lump this in with Javi Baez, 86%. Sorry, to Brian Hayes, 95% rostered still, 76% started. Javi Baez, 86% rostered, 71% started. So these guys are on par with each other, both in ADP and rostership and starting percentages. Javier Baz the last four weeks, 101 plate appearances again, playing every single day. He's got one home run in that time. This is through Friday. So if he did anything on Saturday, apologize. It's not included here. Two stolen bases, 26 to two strikeout to walk ratio there in that time with a 182 batting average, expected average of 187. So he's doing what he's expected to be doing. He is batting second for Detroit, but even though he's batting second, he still only has seven runs scored in that time. 12 RBIs, though. So we'll give him that. Javi Baez is like all about the potential of being batting second. Could score some runs if Detroit puts some puts some stuff together. Cabrian Hayes is empty batting average. Simple as that. Playing every day. Definitely helping you in that category but is it enough that he's not hurting you everywhere else? What are your thoughts on these guys? Are they over rostered? Are you happy with them if you have them somewhere or what's your take here?
2: Cabrian Hayes is intriguing to me because that the barrel rate that, that we've seen on his recent streak is what we have needed to see from him, right? That he just had hit too many ground balls. And when he does hit it hard, it was on the ground and, this barrel rate, this, this is intriguing. It's a small sample, but I don't think I, I'd be dropping him if I held him till now. I think I'd want to see if this is a real change taking place here. Uh, he's still a pretty young player, and this is what we've been hoping to see from him for quite some time. I could have I seen definitely the argument a week or two ago that maybe you already dropped him, and I wouldn't blame anyone one bit. For doing that, then it was um, empty batting average, as you say, for most of the season. But the, what we've seen over the last couple of weeks, I think I'd want to see if this can stick. Maybe not in my starting lineup, but uh, maybe you're like we were talking earlier. If you're going to hold him on your team, maybe you have to get him into your starting lineup to have room for him. And I could see that even in a 12 right now, the way he's rolling. Right. This is the kind of guy that in a 12 team league we wanted to pick up two weeks ago if he was available. So you ride it out for a little longer and see if these changes stick, I think. Baez, yep, it's all potential. I've been a fan. I'm a fan of players like Javi Baez, Adelis Garcia, right? I mean, sometimes we see these huge strikeout rates. We know the potential for this 182 batting average is there, but for long periods of time, they perform better than that in spite of the high strikeout rates. So we've always known this was possible with Javier Baez. What my inclination is, once the performing in spite of the strikeout rate goes away, and if you've seen him play, he's completely guessing up there at the plate. Right? He's seeing he's swinging at sliders that are four feet outside. He's guessing that fastball is coming, if you've seen him play. And that's not good for a player that is still relatively young. He's been around quite some time, but usually we'd see... Guys start guessing when they slow down quite a bit. And I wouldn't think his bat speed has slowed down that much yet. So it's a troubling sign. And I've been a big supporter of Baez. I myself have held on to him too long in some places. I think I got rid of him in most spots, but I probably still have a 12 team. I'm probably still rostering him on a 12 team league or two. And that's been too, that's been a mistake. It's time to let him go, I think.
1: Yeah, that's probably fair. Yeah, strikeout rate is actually not terrible this year. He's under 21% on the yeah. season. And in this last four weeks, like I mentioned, 26 strikeouts and 101 plate appearances is the fact that he's got the two walks in that same time period <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to go and along with it. That's, that, that doesn't
2: balance out. And like I said, I with them being in the AL Central and me being a Royals fan, I see the Tigers play fairly often mm-hmm. and get to see his at bats and that he just doesn't look like he has any idea what he's doing at the plate and many of those occasions. Fair.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. Cause if you take away the name, take away the picture and you just see what's going on, obviously it's not somebody that you would consider putting fab dollars on, but the, but that he's batting second and on an everyday basis, he has dual eligibility in some cases. You find that all those things interesting. It's easily those would be things that we would make arguments for. But on top of that, you have to look deeper and see how much harm he's actually doing. That volume, we talked about this in the offseason, the volume can be more detrimental in certain cases than it can be helpful as right.
2: well. Right. And Detroit, with of course, the AL Central 500 or below, probably wins that division, but they were up to second place. They were winning a few ball games. It was easy to think, Oh, the lineup's performing better. No, that it isn't when I was sorting by the last couple of weeks, team statistics earlier today, they're still at the bottom on most searches. You do the lineup as a whole is not performing in that case, being second in their lineup every day with that batting average isn't even getting us the runs that we would expect, as you pointed out earlier.
1: All right, last two guys I want to talk about. These are guys are they've been fabbed in most leagues in the last couple weeks. We got Casey Schmidt in San Francisco, still eighty two percent rostered in our listener leagues, forty six percent in the starting lineup, and then Christopher Morel for the Cubs, ninety six percent rostered, still forty five percent in the starting lineup. So really close in both rostership and definitely in starting percentages here, at least in our listener leagues. Schmidt, obviously, actually, both these guys, they started strong. Schmidt, though, tailed off in the last three weeks in 67 plate appearances. It's 14 strikeouts to one walk, 22.4% hard contact rate. To put that into perspective, the MLB average is about 26.5% in the hard contact rate. So well below average in that range. Has not hit a home run in, that, in the last three weeks. Two stolen bases, though. He is regularly batting in the bottom third. Of the San Francisco Giants batting order, where Morrell, we all know how hot he started. He was the second coming in, in that in the first thirteen games, he had a thirteen-game hitting streak. Since that hitting streak ended, uh, starting May twenty-fifth, he's had thirty-three plate appearances in that time. He's collected one hit in that time frame, ten strikeouts to five walks. So not as sh- striking of a ratio there as the other guys we've talked about, but still. Do you trust either one of these guys who are still both Morel less, but like is still playing pretty regularly for the Giants. Morel has petered off for the Cubs as far as playing time goes, but you trust either of these guys to turn it around or should these guys just have been considered streamers for what they were producing? And 96% of you guys, what are you doing? Still holding on to Christopher Morel, for example.
2: Yeah, it's tough when they were so good okay. for a... a several days right not just a couple of days makes it really tough I think Schmidt is losing playing time as well he's played three games so far this week the Giants were facing righties all week he probably will play against lefties and then some righties the way the Giants do things though if you're already a part-time player and then start struggling uh, I'm cutting bait when you're with the Giants because you're already not getting full-time at bats and I've made the case that guys on the that don't necessarily need full-time at-bats as long as they're quality at-bats, and the quality is went away. Fortunately, I didn't have him anywhere to begin with, so I didn't have to make this decision, so it's easy for me to say this, <laughs> but that, I really honestly believe that's where I'd be. Morel's a little tougher. Yeah, he's lost some playing time recently, but we know he's streaky. And so that's what we're signing up for when we get a guy like Morrell. I don't think I can comfortably put him in my lineup this coming week, but he's, he's one of those guys that unless I really need that spot, I may try to hold him a little longer and see if he gets the Cubs. When you look at the Cubs lineups over the past week, only two guys have played every day. Ian mm-hmm. Happ and Dansby Swanson so now the Cubs are they becoming one of those teams we have to worry about this with the race of course the Giants we got to start worrying about the Cubs as well getting playing time except for their, their couple of guys and but with Morrell it's tough Nope, because we know he's streaky so if, if he's a guy that if you drop him he is getting picked up immediately you probably don't have a chance unless you pick him up the very next week after you drop him. Somebody's going to take the chance.
1: Yeah, the streaky guys, man, I, I hear this. We hear this all the time. And of course, you just mentioned it. It's, it's hard to get rid of because when he goes on a tear, he can continue to go on a tear. And that's just what his profile is. And I think everybody was warning of this happening sooner rather than later, even after such a strong start. And obviously, he was tearing up the miners before getting the call this year as well. But you can't, it's so hard to predict. When that streak's gonna start, and he's he's one for thirty, one hit in thirty-three of his last plate appearances. Okay, when does that get turned around? You don't know. Is it just take a really terrible pitcher or starting pitcher that he's facing? He, it's it's just tough. And then if it's if that streak starts in the middle of the week, yeah, maybe you get the weekend out of him if you were aggressive with your lineup changes. But you're gonna miss out on some of that streak. Simple as that. And then by the time you pull them in there, who's to say that streak doesn't end. So It's just, it's a tough, if you want to manage your team, I guess this goes into that. It's like, how much do you actually want, how much time and effort do you have to put into really analyzing when that's going to happen and managing your rosters and what have you? He, Morrell's more of a headache to me than anything else. And I would have moved on if I won him in any places. And I also think that this goes, these guys, they came in not slowly, but they came in, in such a way where you didn't see like triple digit bids in a lot of leagues for these guys. Morel and Schmidt were going anywhere between 20 and like $80 depending on your league. And so there's not a ton of fab collateral that you put in. And the, sunk, the idea of the sunk cost, you don't have to worry about that as much. as Again, if you got Yuri Perez, you're going to hold on to him because you spent $300 on him or something like that. But these guys probably, you probably spent... Quite a bit less to bring them on. They should be an that shouldn't be the thing that holding you back, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, it's and it's weird with the Cubs, right? It's hard to tell what they are doing. Sure. Mike Talkman is starting every day now, and I used to be on Mike Talkman. He was one of the guys that Alex Chamberlain he likes to give us mm-hmm. a couple of guys each year that are probably being overlooked as prospects that that maybe than most prospect lists give them credit for. And Talkman was a guy I followed for a few years, and I was excited like some others when he came up. And he's slugging 280 and playing every day. What are the Cubs doing? Why not let you know Morrell can go on a hot streak? You're better off with him in there, I would think. I don't know what they're trying to see they may have with Talkman because I think the answer is pretty obvious to most of us.
1: Well, it's like the conversation we're having right now. How hasn't this guy been dropped yet? <laughs> right, <laughs> The playing time is doing you more harm. <laughs> all right. It's just keep that in mind as you're making these, as we talk about all these players that you could be adding, you could be considering you're not just adding a player on top of your roster. You've got to make drops in order to add these guys on and, really consider the fact that we're definitely past the point of the season where anybody is droppable if they're doing more harm than good. We only touch the surface on some of the guys that are just having poor seasons. And yeah, I agree. The guys who started off, you put a lot of capital into your draft to grab them. You give them more leeway because you are confident that they can turn it around. But we're two and a half months in now. If you haven't turned it around by now, yeah, you still could but now you've, you're putting more risk than reward into the equation. To The biggest
2: for one for me on this list that we talked about is Jose Abreu, unfortunately. But but being started in 42% of leagues, I would compare this to over the last couple of seasons in a 12-team league, would you have Miguel Cabrera in your lineup? Because right. that's who he's turned into, right? Is the old Miguel Cabrera. Yeah. <laughs>
1: He's a little younger than Miguel Cabrera, I think. But
2: <laughs> Yeah, he is, but that's the that's what we're getting from sure. him now. Is what we've got from Cabrera the last couple of years as much as we love Miguel Cabrera. exactly, as much as none you're of us rooting us are for him out there in our 12 team starting lineups. I hope not.
1: All right, let's get into some of the guys that we are thinking about adding this week and maybe we drop some of these guys to pick them up. Before we get into that, of course, we do have to take another quick break. All right, Kevin. Let's get right into it. We've got our category by category breakdown. Of guys that should be considered, depending on what you're looking for, what your roster construction is, and all that. I talked to Sarah Sanchez last earlier this week about how I'm looking at bettering my rosters, and I started looking at categories a couple of weeks ago. Like I, I'm doing, I pick up all my ads now by categories, not by position unless I'm just desperate in a situation where I have four guys in the IL or something like that. But mostly I'm looking at categories. It's a major reason why we've always formatted the show in this way, because the majority of the season, you really should be looking at categories rather than position. You don't care where the categories come from. Uh, you just need them in your lineup. So let's start off here for power, home runs, RBIs. You've got a couple of guys here worth looking at. Talk to me about Oh, I like this first one because I haven't seen him in a while. And I'd like to see what with Carrie Carpenter coming back for the Tigers.
2: It's as simple as he's back and the Tigers have a full seven game week and we know he has the power. It's not something just like what we were talking about hitting second in the lineup for the Tigers doesn't give us the advantages that it might with other teams because they're not scoring runs as a team but with the power he provides the home runs should be there even if the RBI lack a little bit and he's widely available 74% of main event leagues he's not rostered 99% of online championships he's not rostered and he's a guy that can give us help in home run category for sure but I would concede that The RBI may not be there like we would hope for a guy with his power.
1: Yeah, I don't think anybody was really questioning that Akil Badu would have taken time away from Carpenter per se. But Akil Badu was playing every day in left field for the most part for the Tigers, and he just hit the IL. We missed that in our news and notes section, but they pretty much are ships in the night here with Carpenter coming back on Friday and Badu going on the IL on Saturday. So the playing time obviously should not be of question. And Carpenter's batted fifth and third in his first two days back, DH and left field. So he should be in the top third or at least that middle part of the lineup for the Tigers. All right. We got, I'm interested but this, Brandon Belt you got on here um, as well. I know he just left the game early, I think on Saturday. I don't know if uh, that's a consideration. But Brandon Belt and then... I think I think I might have I might mention him in passing, but talk to me more about Gary Sanchez and what he's doing in San Diego.
2: It's Gary Sanchez is doing what he's always done. We know the drawbacks. It's like Joey Gallo. We know the batting average isn't gonna be there. We know he is gonna hit home runs if he plays. We know that he hasn't always been considered the best defensive catcher that has affected his playing time. He's been playing every day for the, uh, the Padres, brought him on board, and DHing on days he doesn't catch. He is 81% rostered in main events, only 16% in online championships. And I'm in several 12-team two-catcher leagues where I wish I'd have had Gary Sanchez on my roster this past week. <laughs> and I, I'm not chasing what he has done this week. I know that's already gone, but he... he has better projections going forward than some of the catchers that that I'm starting in two catcher leagues, even 12 teamers he's definitely somebody I'm taking a look at this week
1: yeah I think I mentioned it last week with Nelson Cruz on the IL Sanchez seemed like the one that was going to take advantage of the extra playing time and it has definitely come to fruition and that shouldn't go away in the next week or so I like the call out there
2: And a couple of guys, as you like to always say, just take the couple of seconds that it takes to check. Marcelo Ozuna and Jake Berger. We all know the performances they're having this season. And with Eloy Jimenez's latest injury, Berger's playing time should be safe once again. Ozuna, after a horrendous start to the season, now all of a sudden has his 13 home runs on pace for 30-some home runs. And they... Are very highly rostered everywhere, but they're not even 100% rostered in 15 team main events. So it's worth taking a look.
1: Yeah, obviously, Burger was probably dropped in quite a few places and slowly getting picked back up. Burger will be 100% rostered after this weekend, I think, for sure. All right, let's move on then to our speed categories here. Of course, stolen bases and runs scored being the consideration here. Kevin, you got what I I like to consider a more obvious pick here. And then one that I'm a little more curious about. You could start with either one.
2: Yeah. You're probably more curious about drew waters because he's never attempted a stolen base at the major league level. He does he or did steal bases in the minor leagues. Mm -hmm. The Royals I've noticed over the, the past couple of seasons, guys that are known for stealing bases in the minor leagues, they don't, start attempting stolen bases at the major league level until they start hitting. And Drew Waters was hitting very well at the end of last season when he came up, but it wasn't for a long period of time. He wasn't up very long and he's only been back a little over a week this season. I do expect that if he can get on base on a consistent basis, that they will start to turn him loose, even though he is yet to have an a stolen base attempt at the major league level. This would be my deeper league play because he is available in nearly half of 15 team main events, widely available in 12 teamers. But I think you could probably do better in a 12 teamer like the other guy that I like. I think we're, this is your last chance in shallow leagues and one main event. Joey Weimer is available as well. I think this is our last chance the week we have seen thus far this week is just building upon what we've been seeing for the past three or four weeks. He was a pretty, pretty highly rated prospect, and he's starting to play the six foot five, 220 pound, fast power hitter that we've been hoping to see. And I think this weekend's our last chance to get him, at least affordably.
1: Yeah, he's going to be like Smith will be to Andrew Abbott. Joey Weimer will be. <laughs> Ellie De La Cruz's backup plan on most fab bids, conditional waterfalls, I think. Just based on what he's been doing, his bat, literally playing every single day. Hasn't had a day off. He's so May good in center second. field.
2: He is not coming out of that lineup unless he asks for a day off.
1: Yeah, now we just need to see him move up in the lineup. He did that fifth the other day, but mostly batting seventh or ninth, the bottom third of that order in Milwaukee. But if he keeps hitting doing what he's doing.
2: The Brewers, I believe, are one of the teams with two games the first half this week for NFB SU formats.
1: Yep, they have they are one of the teams that only have the five games, so you won't you probably aren't starting him in the first half of your lineup, but you'll still get the full weekend after the fact. All right, speaking of which, let's get into some guys that might have a good opportunity as opposed to Joey Weimer with the schedule coming up this pat this coming week. We have nine teams that have a full seven game work week Tampa Bay, Detroit. The Angels, Oakland, Texas, Atlanta, Philadelphia, Arizona, and Colorado all play seven games in seven days. There are three teams that have two off days, including the aforementioned Milwaukee Brewers, New York Mets, and the New York Yankees. So not a lot of baseball happening in or around New York City, which would have worked out a little bit nicer if it happened a couple of days ago where they were getting smoked out in general. But there, all three of those teams are going to be off Monday and Thursday. So Kevin, as Kevin mentioned, two games in the first half of your lineup blocks um, on an NFBC or those biweekly lineups changes every other team does play six they're off either monday or thursday no weird off days this week no friday off days <laughs> no back-to-back wednesday thursday off days or anything like that colorado as we tend to track they are away all week after being home all of last week they got 10 straight away games starting this week they're playing three in boston and four in atlanta they do have seven they are one of the teams that have seven games but they're all on the road Cincinnati is also on the road, so they will leave Great American Small Park empty all week long as the Reds travel to Kansas City and Houston for three games, each at each location. With all that in mind and anything else you want to consider, Kevin, who looks like they might have a good opportunity ahead of themselves for the next week or so?
2: Will Brennan for the Cleveland Guardians has been playing versus both left-handed and right-handed starters recently. That's the opportunity I see here. I am certain it's because that he had been sitting some is why he's only 59% rostered in the 15 team main events. I'm certain that's why he's only 6% rostered in the 12 team leagues, the online championships, but he has been playing every day recently and Cleveland as a team, right? We know that how bad they have been offensively. So we were just talking about the Tigers and that really cuts down on your opportunities for runs and RBI based on how the entire lineup is performing. But Cleveland has been much better recently over the past week. I know that's a small sample, but when I'm taking all of the plate appearances for the higher team, I, I do put a little weight into that. It is encouraging their sixth in baseball over the past week and team-weighted runs created plus so the team as a whole performing better we should see some runs and rbis with will brennan in the lineup every day in deep leagues this is only a deep league play and he's rostered in 26 percent of main events i'm not saying we want to run out and grab the number nine hitter for the washington nationals in 12 team leagues but alex call is getting on base scoring some runs and driving in some runs He's not going to get you a ton of home runs. He's not going to get you stolen bases either. But when in the deeper leagues, when when we say we're looking for plate appearances, what we're really looking for is some counting stats. And he has been scoring multiple runs and driving in multiple runs most weeks. So he is helping with the plate appearances he's getting in at least a couple of categories for the deeper leagues.
1: Yeah, it's, fair. it's good to have those deep league options that as you mentioned, this stark difference, obviously, 1% rostered in online championships versus 26. That's not as big of a difference as we've seen in the past with other players. But th- there, there's usually a reason for that 1%. This isn't a risk you really need to be taking in such a shallow league when there are other options. He could be on your conditional bids. So he could be five or six players down if you really need that
2: yeah, if you don't feel like listing 25 players and you put him about sixth because that's all you want to spend the time doing, you know you'll get him.
1: Yeah, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> you don't have to bother. <laughs> all right, let's move on to the pitching categories here. And we touched on it a little bit earlier in the show. This is a tough one. This is a tough one this week, and it's going to be a tough one as we continue to move on throughout the season. We're going to start off with our counting cats here, wins and strikeouts. Kevin, you only got one name on here because that's really, (laughs) that's where we're at here. Talk to me about your option here.
2: We have the new guys that have entered the player pool, right? So we know we have Abbott. and uh, If you've got
1: the money. If you've got
2: the money. But 15 teams, it's rough. The guy I listed is 96% rostered in the main event but he has pitched well recently, and he's only, I believe, 42% rostered in the 12-team. Yeah, only 42% in online championships, and uh, that's Griffin Canning. And as bad as the Royals' offense has been, they're even worse against right-handed pitching, and Griffin Canning going to Kansas City this week is an easy stream for me, even in 12-team leagues, and most definitely in the handful of 15 team leagues where he's available but in those 15 team leagues i think i think we're looking at like we talk about a lot we're we're looking at middle relievers if we need pitching help and don't have the money to go after a guy like like abbott this week
1: yeah i'm with you on that one find those situations where you look like a team could be doing a bullpen game or they're just really heavy on their on their bullpen in general guy that doesn't pitch on Saturday or Sunday, giving you the opportunity to pitch three, maybe four in the week just to get him some innings, give him more opportunity to vulture a win in the right situation. That would be where I'd be going as well. We'll go into our ratios, which is where we typically see some middle relievers or relievers in general being discussed here. I got a couple guys here that could be chipping away at your ERA whip or at the very least helping you tread water because as we all know, these ratios both era and whip and of course also batting average on the hitting side are the categories in which not only can you move up in the standing because you're doing well but your opponents can actually come back to you if they have a blow up here or there talk give me some pictures that I might be considering as far as strictly looking at ratios
2: yeah I like the matchups for Yanni Chirinos this week I definitely like one of them. The other one is getting a little fuzzier by the day as the Padres lineup continues to get healthy and start to perform a little bit. But Torino has been great this year. He's not going to give you strikeouts, and there's a really good chance he won't go long enough to qualify for the win. However, the last two starts he has made, or last, Let's see. Yeah, the last two starts he has made, he went over five innings. As he's come in as a follower, he's gone three, four, five innings. That's why I used him in the ratios category, not wins and Ks. And the Ks won't be there. Only 15 strikeouts and over 34 innings on the season. But his ratios have been great. And he does get more innings than most guys like this, That to so those ratios can help us more. So I like him getting to what appear to be starts this week. Of course, we'd like it a little better if he was the second guy coming in, <laughs> yep. but either way, I could see Torino's being in my lineups this week. Where especially the fifteen teamers, like we talked, there's not any starters available in most fifteen team leagues where we might absolutely need a pitcher this week. This is definitely I would be looking at. Yeah, and with um, the two
1: starts, with the two starts being lined up. It's still nice to know that even a guy like Trinus, who if he only goes four innings, if he does go over five, like you said, in those two, he could volume his way into being relevant in the strikeout category, even if he doesn't qualify for those wins. So that's an added, but in that respect, let's not remember, let's not forget like you said he's got the first matchup it seems really nice against Oakland and then at San Diego at the end of the, over the weekend on the, probably on Sunday Oakland as Adrian Hauser reminded us is a major league baseball team yeah <laughs> and they've they been, can they've been winning some games they hit, they've it's been, been winning games Adrian Hauser not doing himself any favors in that and giving them all the props. But, yeah, they are a major league team. They are, what, 500, I think, in the last 10 days or something like that. So not there are a few other teams who can't quite say that. Oakland A's turning things around. So just be wary.
2: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And Tyler Rogers is doing his thing for the Giants, right? The ratios are great. They're, they've been even better recently than the overall numbers. He had a, a pretty bad stretch there for a handful of games at the end of April. He Recently, he's only been going one inning at a shot, but he can go multiple innings and has this season. Maybe that's something they figured out that they needed to do, but he did go multiple innings on a couple occasions after the rough outing. He hasn't given up a an earned run since April 30th. And, oh, wait, nope, I missed one. He gave up one on May 14th. But he's got 10, 10 appearances since then without giving up an earned run, more than an inning on a couple of those occasions. And once in a while, he'll get you a strikeout or two. It's not something we're really looking at from him. And as the Giants, the way they play their games, the way they play matchups, he doesn't have any yet. But he, this is the type of guy that I can see running into an accidental win for us. At some point as well.
1: All right, nice. Let's move into purely relievers here with our saves category. Uh, Kevin, you got some two interesting names here, and I'm going to start us off by just giving a shout out to again the Oakland A's who are actually winning ball games, and Trevor May is saving those ball games. Is May not only going to do enough for the A's, but do enough for himself where he's going to keep this job? We all speculated this. As in the preseason, that the A's would be putting him in the situation for him to succeed so that they can bring up the value and then trade him at at the deadline. Can we get enough out of Trevor May in Oakland to make him valuable between now and the end of July?
2: I think so. I think he knows that's his situation. He's got two saves in the past three evenings, Wednesday and Friday evening. The A's, in spite of this recent nice little streak, aren't going to win a lot of games. But I think Trevor May is going to close out the wins they do have until he is traded. And I think we can take advantage of that. And I think this is where we're at. This is far from a certainty. It's what I think is going to happen. But we've had less turnover with the closers for the teams that use a closer, typically. We have... All kinds of guys getting saves again. It's been a week or two ago. I saw somebody post. We were already at 120 some players that have a save this year. It is insane. A spot like this. It's not a sure thing. We're not seeing the turnover that you can always find saves on the wire. Yeah, it's true, but it doesn't mean we can get them. I think this is one of the best situations out there available for us right now.
1: Yeah, you're probably right in This is going to be a situation where you think this is a player that's going to stick in that role, at least for the next month and a half. And as long as he doesn't, nobody's going to take it away from him except for him. Put
2: it that way. Exactly. And then I don't see anybody else in this bullpen that the A's might think they can boost their value by getting them a few saves that they want to move. So, yeah, I think. This is them trying to make him as, as valuable as possible.
1: Yeah. And then Albert Alzele got gotten some saves for the Cubs. You got him on here as well. I think we talked about, <laughs> about it's one of the situations a of weeks ago. that in right. like
2: related to what I was just saying about Trevor May or, to, or leading up to talking about Trevor May we're at the point this season that if you need saves, of course we can still be patient, there still will be other changes throughout the season things will become available but up to this point this year we haven't had a lot of those opportunities and in years past this chicago cubs situation i would not had anything to do with it i wouldn't even try to figure it out that's other people's problem i'll find saves elsewhere but this season it's been different i think we got to look anywhere we can so alzey as we've been talking all season long and even in the offseason, he's a possibility in this spot for the Cubs.
1: Yeah, I think the other only name I might have I might have brought up <laughs> if we had recorded this yesterday would have been Colorado's Jake Bird, as Pierce Johnson had been relieved of his duties as closer, had a blown save on I think it was on Thursday. Justin Lawrence was named alongside Jake Bird as possibilities but obviously Justin Lawrence also had a blown save the day prior to that and people um, and were then,
2: spending some money on him last week.
1: They were. I I don't think I got him anywhere. He was in my bids for sure just because closer saves everything you just talked about. Right? <laughs> but now you have Jake Bird in the mix as well. And he goes ahead and joins that elusive club that is Colorado relievers blowing saves. You know, it wasn't really, it technically was a blown save because the score, but he let up two earned runs on two hits coming in the sixth inning. So who knows? It's also Colorado. Granted, they're going to be on the road all week. So that's nice. I think that Lawrence is probably the safest bet to at least get the next chance if one comes about. Anybody who's interesting based on that quote alone, Jake Bird, maybe temper that a little bit. All right, our final category, Kevin, my favorite category to hear. Some of the names that come through here is our wild card. If you've got the stash spot on your bench, if you've got less than five IL guys that you're already holding on to and you have the flexibility to pick up somebody, this is where this category fits into. So if you've got that kind of flexibility, who might you be looking at to throw on your rosters?
2: I think we're getting close enough to the time that as everything looks right now, if things continue to go as well as they have for Trevor story, there's the reports are, we still won't see him until July. In spite of how well things are going with his rehab, he is hitting, he has throwing. I don't think he's throwing full strength yet, but he's getting there. And, but July is only three weeks away he he's going to get he's going to start being picked up here and there and it's going to get more expensive each week that there are not any setbacks it, it looks like we might even see him a few days before the all-star break if things continue the way they are and even if not we're only 4 weeks from the all-star break if he's set to come back right after in in places where you're fortunate enough to have a roster spot i know there's not many of us that have a spot like that but it's time to thinking about start thinking about Trevor's story.
1: Yeah, I like that call. Out. It's the same kind of call out I've been making for the last couple of weeks with Derek Hall in mm-hmm. currently on his rehab assignment. Got moved over to A as well. If you're looking for power in Philadelphia, he could be coming back to form sooner rather than later. I did like the quote about story. The core said that there is a possibility they bring him back as a DH prior Absolutely. to have him play shortstop. I, I had some negotiations for Trevor story in my home dynasty league because I was looking for a future second baseman. And when Cora came out and said he'd be playing shortstop when he came back, I'm like, all right, no more. I don't need this conversation. To happen anymore. <laughs> I just need a second baseman. So it's good to know that they still have the confidence in him to play that position, but from a fantasy perspective, yeah, I like the fact that he's willing to bring him back a little bit early as long as it's not going to hurt his long-term status as a DH, just to get his bat in the lineup and see what he's got. I like that call out a lot. Kevin, I saved this section for you. I don't take, when you're not here, it doesn't happen. So I'm glad you're here. (laughs) Give me any kind of final thoughts you might have, especially as we enter mid-June of the 2023 season.
2: Yeah, I think that's exactly mid-June. That's exactly the point. I think we still need to be patient. We're approaching the halfway point but I think it's different than most years. We often hear about people for years have said, I really start paying attention and make don't really make moves. I let my players tell me who they are until Memorial Day. And I've been of the opinion, no, that's waiting too long. And I'm not necessarily saying be patient with players that are underperforming. We talked about that earlier in the show, but I'm talking about be patient with our teams. I think there's going to be more movement In league standings this year from here going forward than there typically is due to all the injuries we've had. We have people coming back from injury, and I think we're gonna have a lot more injuries. I think it's gonna continue. So there's gonna be more movement in the standings from here going forward than we see or have seen in years past. So be patient with your teams, keep working at it, keep turning them over and that's why i don't think i would use my entire hammer on a guy like ellie de la cruz i think if you're if you've been budgeting your money and turning your roster over each week i think you want it's going to be advantageous to be able to continue to do that the rest of the season in spite of how good ellie de la cruz could be (laughs) for us
1: yeah, I like how you that's a good bookend to the whole episode as we <laughs> start and t- end with him. Yeah. Yeah, that's the way it's gonna be for quite some time, I think. All right, guys. Well, that is going to sum it all up and wrap it up for episode 118 of On the Wire. Follow me at 80grade. That's all spelled out. You can follow Kevin at Hasting Kevin. Of course, follow the pod itself at On the Wire Pod. After all that, I am Adam Howe. On behalf of Kevin Hastings, thanks for listening. We bid you goodbye.